Let us stand together for our responsive reading to the call of worship. We have been raised with Christ. Let us therefore set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. As we come together as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, let us clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We will forgive even as the Lord has forgiven each of us. Let us pray. Lord God, what a privilege it is to gather here in your name to, to worship you, to lift you up. And Lord, as we gather here, we ask that your Holy Spirit would, in, would fill us and enable us, Lord, as we bathe in your, your words and your scripture readings in the prayers and the songs and the message today, Lord, that you would change us, cleanse us, and make us more able to be like you and to reach out to those around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being our Savior. Amen. Please remain standing for the
Amen. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Education is the carrier of culture. People around the world act and think according to what they have been taught and experienced. How effective could that education be for the kingdom of God if it were tied to the truth of scripture? African evangelical pastors and church leaders recognize that the only hope of successfully resolving the deep problems within Africa is with an education system that is grounded in scripture that has a biblical worldview, and that is specifically Africa. Sending books will not work. Sending teachers will not work. We must assist our African siblings to develop their own materials and then equip them to reach their culture. The goal of 10.3 is to assist in the discipleship of the people of Africa for generations to come. 10.3 response develops and equips so that Jesus Christ will be honored. 10.3 is not just giving people knowledge, but bringing about transformation. Of course, we've been having education, but we don't have transformation education. 10.3 is focused on responding to these expressed educational needs with plans and programs that are effective in Africa. We are developing these programs with curriculum written by educators from African cultures. And we are equipping our African brothers and sisters so that they may teach those who will in turn teach others. The Transformational Education Network. I'm Nancy Petrillo, and I'd like to thank you all for uh, supporting my family as missionaries with SIM for the last 27 years. Uh, that ministry has evolved into the work of 103. Uh, my husband has just returned from Zambia, where he set up a new program there. I'm sure he'd be very excited to talk to you about that. Um, the students there will not only be learning computer skills, but will also go through chronological Bible studies that will help them grasp that the Bible is God's story of his redemption plan for us. There are many other schools that are asking for these programs, so we have an opportunity for you to get involved. If you have an old laptop that still runs but you no longer need, um, we could put it to work in Africa. 30 students will go through the Bible in a year on your machine, and uh, actually that number will be much more because replacement costs are built into the program, so in the future the schools will buy their new equipment locally. We have brochures in the back 
um, explaining the program with contact information and the, the specs on the computers. Um, this week, the campus store is collecting donated computers, so if you just want to drop one off there, that would be uh, maybe convenient for you. Any other time, just give us a call. Contact information is all in here. Also has some pretty cool pictures of some computer labs you have never seen before. Um, and I just want to reiterate the point that the video made. Um, we send computers. We also send books and different materials. We train teachers. But it's God's word that has the power to do transforming work in people's lives. So please continue to pray. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nancy, and I do want to encourage you, if you have a computer that you can donate, uh, just will help in the ministry and spreading the gospel uh, for the people of Africa. We have uh, done a practice over the last few years of this Sunday praying for college graduates, and we want to do so again this morning. So if you're a college graduate, if you're graduating uh, now from college, we want to ask you to come and stand down front here. And then we want to surround you with uh, people from the congregation to pray for you. So if you're graduating this year, please come, stand down front, and then we will gather around you to pray for you. If you're in the balcony, you can come down. I want to invite uh, folks from the congregation uh, at large to, to join in and uh, come gather around. It could, if you're a college student or you're a, a year-round resident, we want to invite you to come and to lay hands on those who are here so we can pray for them. Yeah, if you need to come back behind here, that's, that's great, yeah. We got more seniors coming down the side here too, so make sure we grab them. Father, today we celebrate the lives of every person standing here before us. Thank you for Every person who has influenced them in their time in school, has taught them, who has modeled Christ-like faith for them. Thank you for their families that have supported them and for their friends that have encouraged them. And thank you for bringing them to this significant moment in their lives. Thank you for the ways in which they have enriched us as a church, even as we have sought through your Spirit to enrich them as the church. As each graduate moves into a new stage of life, fill them with your joy and your blessing and your grace. May they know your wisdom as they seek direction for the next stage of their life. And where there is uncertainty, apprehension, anxiety, fear, fill them with your calming presence. We pray, Father, that you will lead them out into a world that desperately needs you. 
that they will bear witness to your grace and that they will be beacons of light in a world of darkness. We pray that you will empower them with your Holy Spirit. Help them to use the gifts that you've given them for good in this world. Fill each one of them with love for others because they have experienced in deep ways your love for them. Father, most of all, help each graduate to know your faithfulness. You've been faithful to them through the years of their education. Help them now to know that you will continue to be faithful in the years ahead. Every day, every month, every year. Thank you for each graduate. Pour out your blessing upon them. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We have uh, some people who are joining the church today. We had uh, six people who joined in the earlier services, and we have four, I believe, joining in this service. And I'm going to ask those who are joining today and their families, if they want to come and stand down front here. Come right over here in the middle. That's good. Each person standing before you today has affirmed their faith in Jesus Christ. They have affirmed their belief in, uh, in the core elements of our faith in, in God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. They have affirmed that their desire is to walk with Christ all of their lives, to grow in his grace, and to allow God to continue to work in their lives to make them more and more like Christ. They have affirmed uh, the, the uh, discipline of the Wesleyan Church and, and the membership uh, commitments of the church, and stand before you today uh, approved by the, uh, the elders of our church with great joy. And we welcome them into the fellowship of our church as members of this congregation and of the Wesleyan denomination. I've asked some of our elders to take a moment to introduce those who are joining today just to give you a little bit of background, a little information about them. So I'm going to ask you guys to do that. There's a handheld cordless mic right down there on that chair, I believe, that you can use. Here, Larry, we'll let you use that microphone. You can start. My great honor today to uh, introduce this handsome gentleman to this congregation, Roger Olson. Uh, He's been serving the Lord for 70 years, and uh, he's not ashamed of the fact that he's 91 years of age. (laughs) So we welcome him, him today. He comes to us from Loudonville Community Church in Albany, and uh, he's the father of 
four wonderful children who all love the Lord. Uh, he was the son of a pastor. He's even done preaching himself and served as the president of a, of a camp meeting years ago. And so it's a great honor for me to welcome him to the Houghton Church. Um, I asked him a couple of questions about uh, uh, what he likes. His favorite Bible book is the book of Proverbs. And his favorite food, guess what? Apple pie and ice cream. <laughs> and so you can remember that. And some of you may want to send him an apple pie. Uh, he spent his life uh, serving the Lord, but also working for General Electric. Welcome, Roger, to Thank our you. church today. God bless you. It is my great pleasure to introduce Linya Oyer, and we've been balcony friends over the years, and so it really thrills my heart for her to join. Her husband, Larry, is here, and they have seven children, adult children, and three grandchildren who are here today, so she was happy for that great surprise. Welcome. Uh, Lynn lives on the way to Short Track on County Road 4. And her work is at the Allegheny County Office of Aging, which is at the, trans, the uh, intersection of 86 and 19. And they are in a new building. So if you see a second building there, um, that's where she is. She's thrilled to work there. If you have questions about aging, she's used to people lassoing her and asking her. So you're welcome to do that. She says she will accept that. Uh, her introduction to Houghton Wesleyan Church was as a student and her years at Houghton. She was here for about four or five years, and then there was a hiatus, and the last six years she's been attending regularly. She is being introduced as a covenant member here as a transfer from Caribou, Maine. And it is Caribou, Maine. So we are thrilled to have her here. She is involved in the nursery. She was there at 8.30 this morning working and also is a pioneer girl pal. And she's very much looking forward to being more committed and involved with this body of believers. Thrilled to have you as a member. Good morning. It's my great pleasure to introduce to you Rob and Kim Poole and their family. Rob and Kim and their children have been attending here at Houghton Wesleyan since January when Rob came to us as our new Vice President of Student Life at Houghton College. And we are very pleased to have you all here. Uh, they have three children, Andrew, who is 10, Lexi, who is 8, and Lily, who is 6. And as you know, like I said, Rob is the vice president for Student Life. So if you have issues, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Nobody attack him after church. <laughs> uh, Kim's chosen profession is a career counselor, but at this point she is currently a stay-at-home mom. And I'm personally happy about that because she attends our Friday morning ladies' Bible study. And I've had the, the privilege of getting to know her a bit better. So it's really wonderful. Rob plans on being involved in the music ministry, and Kim plans on getting involved in college student ministry. And we are very pleased to have them here. They uh, came to us from Geneva, New York. Prior to that, they lived in Evansville, Indiana, and they are now in our community here, so we're pleased to have them. 
like to ask the members of the church to stand. And uh, we're going to read together this wor- these words of affirmation and support for these who are joining today. We, the members of this church, receive you to our communion and fellowship as beloved brothers and sisters, and promise to walk with you in love, to instruct, counsel, admonish, and cherish you, and to watch over you with all patience, gentleness, and love. God of the church, we thank you for the blessing of Christian fellowship, and for joining together in one body all those who believe in Jesus Christ. We thank you for these who this day are becoming a part of this local church, this, this branch of Christ's body. We pray that you will grant to them grace and strength to fulfill their vows. And we ask that you will inspire all of us to love one another as you bind our hearts together in your holy love, that we will help each other And that in your grace together, we will share your gospel with the world for whom Christ died. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask uh, those who have just joined to come back up front. And want to encourage you to welcome them, to greet them uh, following the service this morning.
Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that we come today with the need to confess our sins to you. We have spoken harshly when a gentle word was the right response. We have broken confidence even though we were trusted with sensitive information. We have acted arrogantly despite your call to humility. We have allowed our work to drive us while ignoring the rest that you command and that we need. We have not honored others above ourselves. We have been selfish with our time, our gifts, and our resources. In your loving mercy, forgive us. And in your wondrous grace, make us more like Christ. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 61, and it's found on page 739 if you want to follow along with the Pew Bibles. Again, Isaiah chapter 61. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, they will receive in their inheritance, and so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward, let us sing together the doxology. 
stand. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you and for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And Lord, as we take this time now to give back to you, may we give cheerfully, knowing God, that you love a cheerful giver. Bless those who can give and those who cannot. In Jesus' name. As we take a few moments to pray together, if you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me.
Father, we come to you now in this moment of prayer because we live in a world that is shaken with instability. We live in a noisy world in which we need peace. So much fear that calls for courage. A world of rising and falling empires. And we need a vision of your eternal kingdom. We pray, Father, for your peace in this world. We pray that you will hold back the the forces and the systems of evil. Encourage every person who is working for justice and good. Father, we pray for those who have been affected most recently by disasters, tragedies, where there is war, and ask for your healing among them. We pray, Father, for your church around the world, where there is division, bring unity. We pray, Father, that we as your church will be connected to one another through the truth of your word, through the power of your spirit, through the love of Christ. In fact, let us be known as people who love. Father, we pray for the needs and the burdens that we represent here. Because of who you are, because we know that you are a God of grace and mercy. You are a God who works all things for good. We pray for those who are grieving today. And we ask for your healing comfort. We pray for those who are weak, for those who are hurting, for those struggling with disease and pain, recovering. We ask, Father, for your healing grace in their lives, in their bodies, in their souls, in their spirits. Father, we pray for all who are living with anxiety about the future and ask that through your spirit you would bring peace and that you would help us to renew our trust in you as our leader, our guide, our strength. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace at work in each of our lives And in this world, be glorified in the decisions we make, in the ways that we live. And we ask all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our returning King and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Our New Testament reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And if you would like to follow through with the Pew Bibles, this is on page 1,116. Make sure of that. Yes, it is 1,116. So Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, we count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of witness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. Contrary to how we often think, the celebration of Easter is really not one day. In the church calendar, it's a season. That may come as a surprise to some people because we tend to think of it as one day. That day of the year when we sing Christ the Lord is risen today and in this church we usually hear uh, Vidor's Toccata played and in days of old women came with fancy hats and everyone wears pastel colors and you know it, it's, it's one of those kinds of days. And, and we, we, we celebrate this great day and then we move on to something else. But the ancient church said that's not enough because celebrating Easter is so much more than one day. It's the pivotal point of what it means to be a follower of Christ because the cross only has meaning because Jesus rose from the dead. And so we celebrate this season of 50 days that began on Easter Day and ends on Pentecost, but it's even more than that. In the ancient church, every Sunday is a mini-Easter. Every Sunday is a re-celebration of the resurrection of Christ. So much so that even in the ancient church, where they practiced during Lent, kneeling, when you pray during Lent, you always knelt as a sign of humility and, and penitence. And you always prayed that way during Lent, except on Sundays. On Sunday, you prayed standing up, celebrating. Because... The celebration of Sunday as a mini Easter supersedes the penitence and the passion of the Lenten observance. And I suspect that for most of us, if you've grown up in the evangelical church, we haven't gotten that. But we need to. We need to see that the celebration of Easter, this pivotal point of what it means to be a Christian, is about the joy that is ours in Christ. And too often, I think, we are so enamored with, with penance. And we're good at that. And we're not very good at celebrating. And I think maybe it's because you can kind of control penance. It's about us. It's about what we come and we do. And we sort of set the ground rules about it. But celebrations can get out of hand. And that makes us a little nervous. Because we like to control things. But the scriptures keep telling us that we ought to be the most joyful people on the earth. I was reading something recently where the writer said, Christians ought to throw more parties than anybody else. Christians ought to have more celebrations than anyone else. We ought to be known as the people who celebrate. And I'm not sure that we always are. When I have a baptism class, I, I always ask them a question. And typically, if there are grade school children in the class, I'll get the, these answers. I ask them, tell me about how we use water. And invariably, I always get, um, we drink it, or we use it to bathe or take a shower. And, and I affirm that because and that's very symbolic of what's happening in baptism. Jesus, the living water, fills us and nourishes us. It's the only way we have life, and we are symbolizing that in baptism. And, and the cleansing of our sins through Christ, again, symbolized in baptism. And every group, there's always one 
of the children that sort of hesitantly raises their hand and says, well, I go swimming in water. And, and they, they, it's a part of their life, but they're thinking to themselves, that doesn't sound very spiritual, so I don't want to say it. But I always tell them, that's exactly what I want you to say because water is fun. We use water for all kinds of fun things. Swimming, running through the sprinkler, having water balloon fights. We use water for all kinds of fun things. And baptism ought to symbolize that too. It ought to symbolize the joy that is ours in Christ. Because he who was dead is alive and we are his followers. And he lives in us. And when we come to this sixth chapter of Romans, Paul says, we need to be people who are not enslaved to sin, but people who celebrate the freedom that is ours in Christ. See, we tend to think of the resurrection as that day. We're going to celebrate that eternal life. And we will, and it'll be awesome. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. But the celebration of the resurrection isn't, doesn't, we don't wait for that until that day. We engage in it now. It's about now. And, and a big part of that is setting us free from sin. And if you look at verse 6, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 14, sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. And the resurrection is about setting us free, not just someday, but now too. The people to whom this letter is addressed in Rome understand slavery probably far better than we do. It's a big part of their lives. I'm sure that there were many in the church who are slaves. And there are many there who may have owned slaves Slavery was, and the people who were slaves understood the dehumanizing effect of slavery at its worst. They understood the shame that was accompanied with being a slave. And unfortunately, there are far too many people in our world today who still understand slavery. The shame, the despair, the hopelessness, the vulnerability of being a slave, having no say over your own life. Paul says that's not the Christian life as God designed it. We've been set free. He writes to the Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have been created for freedom in Christ. But I think that raises other questions for us. The minute we start talking about freedom in Christ, and especially as Paul says, being free from sin, the the question that tends to come up is, does Paul mean that he's talking about sinlessness? He's talking about perfection as we think of it, that we would never sin again? I don't think that's what he's talking about. When you look back through history and God's best people have still continued to wrestle with sin. You go back to Noah. And he says that Noah... Uh, walked with God and he has this great experience of, of the ark and the flood. And yet when the end of the story with Noah, he's, he, he's drunk. And it's a, it's a really bad scene. And you move ahead to Abraham, this, this man who's called the friend of God. 
And, and, and Abraham is a man of faith, and yet we have at least two stories in Scripture that tell us of, of Abraham sacrificing his wife Sarah in order to protect himself. And there's Moses who leads the people out of Egypt and he spends 40 days on the mountain with God. He glows when he comes down and yet he gets full of himself. And he starts acting what, in a way that he wants instead of what God wants. And, and it's, he's prevented from entering the, the promised land. And you move to David. David who, who is described as a man after God's own heart. Covets his neighbor's wife, commits adultery. And then conspires to commit murder to cover it up. He moved on to Peter in the New Testament, to, who, to whom God says, you don't, you don't, people don't have to be Jews before they can become Christians. And they're free of that. And, and Peter embraces that until some of the Jews come along and he gets nervous and he goes back to the old ways again. And even Paul himself is so stubborn about his... his about John Mark traveling with them and he doesn't want to forgive him that he and his best friend Barnabas go their separate ways because he just can't see his way to forgive. You move on through history. John Calvin, great theologian, great leader of the church, great man of God, assents to the persecution of those he considers theological enemies. John Wesley we trace our theological roots back to, wrote scathing, vitriolic, unchristlike pamphlets about those who disagreed with his theology. Billy Graham, great man of God, great leader of the Christian movement in our nation and even in the world, talks about how back when Richard Nixon was president that he sort of got enamored with all that is the Oval Office and ignored a lot of things that he should have paid attention to. It's not sinlessness. It's not that that we will never sin. We just aren't chained to sins anymore. And it's God's plan and God's, God's desire for us to be set free from the chains of sin. But we so often are willing to settle for mediocrity. You know, it's good enough. I don't think I want to mess with that. Sometimes I don't want to give that up. Ever so often you hear stories about someone who spent 20, 25 years in prison, they're released, and they just don't know how to live out of prison. And, and you know, everything has changed. They, they feel insecure. They, they don't know how to exist in that culture. And so they, they go and they commit a crime, some, often a petty crime. They make sure they're caught so they can go back to prison. And we scratch our heads and think, who would do that? And yet, how often do we hang on to the sins that chain us because it feels secure and we're, we're nervous, we're anxious about freedom. It's like the difference between a lion in the zoo and, and a lion out in the wild. A lion in the zoo taken care of. They never have to worry about being fed, never have to worry about being protected. They are cared for. Whereas the lion out in the jungle has to scrounge for their own food. They may find it or not find it. And, and they may be, they find themselves at the at the end of a hunter's bullet, and they may be uh, searched out by predators out in the jungle. And you look at that and you say, well, it's a lot safer to stay in the zoo, but lions weren't created to live in zoos. They were created to live in the wild, to live in the jungle. And you and I were not created to live chained to sin. 
We were created to be free and to celebrate the freedom that is ours in Christ. It's, it's the famous paragraph of C.S. Lewis where he, he talks about the, the promises of God and of Jesus in the Gospels and how the problem isn't that we embrace them too strongly, it's that we embrace them too weakly. That we're so wrapped up with stuff of this world that we're like an ignorant child making mud pies in the slum, ignoring the offer of a holiday at the seashore. We think what we're doing is just great. What could be better? And God has so much more for us. I I love what, what William Sangster said. He's a British pastor back in the early part of the 20th century. He said, it's audacious to say that God can make us holy like himself. And then he added, it's even more audacious to say that God cannot. God has plans for us to celebrate and to live in freedom. What does that look like? This is the part that often gets us. We often think freedom means we can do whatever we want. That we're finally going to get what we have been yearning to get. When in actuality, freedom in Christ is surrender. We're we're free from having to grasp. We can let go. We're free from having to accumulate. We can give away. We have freedom to love when we want to hate. We are free to forgive when we often want to hang on to our bitterness. It is freedom to let go of life, freedom of, to, 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 from having to get everything we want, freedom from self-centeredness to the freedom and the joy of letting go. Freedom to live like Christ who gave up everything and went to the cross and out of the cross came the empty tomb and the resurrection. And that is God's call on our lives to be free. And the answer to our chains is not in us. It's in Christ. The answer is not we work harder, we try harder, we fight a little bit more. We're really working those chains, trying to get them loose. We can never get them loose. Most of us spend our lives trying to get them loose. The answer is surrender. It's simply placing our hands in front of Christ and letting him unlock the chains. Letting him open the prison doors. Setting us free to be who we were created to be in him. It is about surrendering to him, surrendering to his way, surrendering our lives and finding freedom. Up until I was about 18 years old, everything about my life was centered in the church. My dad was a pastor So it always felt like we were at church more than we were anywhere else, even home. I'm sure that wasn't true, but that that was my upbringing. And it was good, and I give thanks to God for it. 
I was always taught about Christ from as early an age as I can possibly remember. I have always known about Christ. When I went away to college, I did what a lot of people, a lot of students do when raised in the church. I backed away from all of that. I still wanted to be a Christian. I still wanted to be that much of a Christian. So I backed away from the church. And, and of course, when you back away from the church, you inadvertently back away from Christ. They're tied together. And those first, the first semester of college was pretty much just what I'm doing whatever I wanted to do. In the midst of that, I, I was cast as the lead character in a jazz musical version of Pilgrim's Progress. It might sound odd to you if you've read that story. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was interesting. Uh, the guy who wrote it, his name is Ted Nichols. He was the uh, at that time the musical director for Hanna Barbera cartoons, and um, he came to visit us. He had some connections to to the college. He came to visit us there, and instant celebrity. I mean, after all, the guy knew Fred Flintstone, so you know what more could you want? And and he, you know, he wrote this musical, and and so. I, as part of the musical, if you know the, this allegory that John Bunyan wrote, he's got this burden that he's carrying throughout the story as he goes through these various difficulties and temptations and the struggle of his journey that is his progress. And in this, in this musical, I wore this backpack that was weighted down. And all through the story, I'm dragging this backpack around as I make my way through the various parts of this journey. And I can vividly remember the very last scene, standing on this empty stage and surrounded by all of the people who represent all of the ways in which I have encountered struggles in life and often failed. And they are, they have, they are completely surrounding me and they are spinning me in a circle. And the lights are flashing and the music is blaring. It's just this chaotic moment in which everything is, is coming to an apex. And when it reaches the very highest point of light and sound and emotion, everything stops. And I fall to the ground. The lights go out, and there's just silence. Everyone around me disappears. And I just lie there on the floor in silence. After a few moments, I get up on my knees and realize that my backpack is gone. And the very last words of that musical come from off stage. As Pilgrim's wife calls to him, not Pilgrim, but she says, Christian, Christian, it's time for dinner. Christian. And I can still remember that last performance, lying there on the floor and having an encounter with God. I have no idea if anybody else was aware of it, but I was lying there having an encounter with God. 
that was me. It wasn't, it wasn't pilgrim anymore. That was me. And lying there on the floor, saying to God, I want to be free. I want to be free from these things that are chaining me, that I've thought are so great. And I realize they're not. And when I got up and that pack was off my back, it was more than just symbolic. It was real. From that moment on, I walked off that stage a different person. And from that moment, I have had other, ba- other packs that have been on me. And I've had other things that have chained me. And I've had continual struggles just like you have. But something about that moment gave me a desire to want freedom more than enslavement. And it's been a journey ever since. I don't know what things you may feel are enslaving you today. But I suspect for almost all of us, it's something. And Paul tells us that Christ, the resurrected Lord, wants to set us free and to fill us with joy. I just finished this week reading Brennan Manning's book, Souvenirs of Solitude. And in this, in each of the, at the end of each of the devotions, he includes a poem by a former friend, Sue Garmon. And one of those poems especially grabbed me as I read it. Because it speaks to us about our cry for freedom. And I've asked Jim Zoller if he would come and read it for us. Lord, I think maybe you're getting accustomed to the idea that I'm not an archangel. Of course, you know I'm not, and I know I'm not. But I must admit that periodically I try to behave as though I were. And most of my problems seem to stem directly from that fact. I'd like to think I'm perfect, with no limitations, impure motives, human weaknesses, everything under control, and all together. And every time I catch myself thinking and behaving that way, life becomes not just burdensome, but horrendous. Lord, thank you for letting me know that I'm not perfect yet, but that you'll get me there if I let you. Thank you for reminding me that I'll never have it all together until we meet face to face. Lord, do archangels need you as much as I do? Father, thank you for setting me free, free to be poor, little, weak, 
Thank you for setting me free, free to be misunderstood, rejected, forgotten. Thank you for setting me free, free to be unsatisfied, empty, stripped. Thank you for setting me free, free to break through, let go, enter the flame. Father, thank you for setting me free by binding me more closely to yourself. to be set free and fill us with the joy of the resurrected Christ as we surrender and find true freedom in him Amen
I think one of the ways that God helps us surrender and let go is telling someone. And so I want to encourage you, if you have surrendered something to Christ today, if you've sensed his freedom anew in your life, I want to encourage you to, to send me a note. And email me, drop me a note through uh, regular mail or something off of the office. And just an encouragement to you, and I will be praying for you. And pray that God will continue to help us live in his freedom. I'm going to ask the new members to come down front immediately following the benediction. And I want to encourage you to spend, take a moment to greet them and to welcome them into the membership of our church. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.